This is Ever Present, an Eden Project podcast, equipping you to connect deeply with God, yourself, and others. Welcome to the Ever Present podcast. My name is Duke Rivard with the Eden Project. Uh, excited to be joined by Todd Wormers and Phil Herndon uh, from uh, Ten Man Ministries. Uh, you guys are, I think, just some of the best uh, practitioners in the world around helping us discover what's going on in our chest. What are we actually feeling when we feel the emotions? What do we do with them? Uh, this is super relevant for the Eden Project because our mission is to retrain people to connect deeply with God, themselves, and others. And uh, emotions are just critical to that. Uh, this podcast is just an acknowledgement that we need more attention, uh, more theology around emotion. Uh, we need to have a better anthropology, a more robust anthropology that helps us orient ourselves to the interior life. And what do we do with the things we experience in a fallen world? And how could we move towards relationship from those places so that we live in the connection uh, that we're, we're made for? So in this episode, we're going to talk about shame, uh, which is a little bit of a wet blanket, probably. <laughs> Nobody loves shame. Uh, and yet, because it's so ever-present, because it's something that we deal with so often, and it's so, gosh, destructive in so many ways, it's critical that we have a theology of it, and we know what to do with it, and we know how it's impacting relationship and others. And so uh, let's start with you, Todd. Uh, what are we experiencing when we experience shame? The shame is the, the feeling that God gave us to allow us to know our dependence and our humanity, like uh, my limitations. You know, we see that so well in the garden. Um, you know, he's just showing them over and over again their neediness for him, and that's all what really healthy shame is. I think when you talk about shame, it's shame is such a hard one to talk, and because you, you got healthy shame, you got toxic shame, you got shame. So it's like the nuances of, of shame, but it really is our, our the thing that keeps us most uh, in a place of dependence on God and other people. Because I'm very, very, I'm a hu- I'm a human, so I have super, super limitations. And I think, you know, we don't want to have limitations. We want to, you know, I, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know who said it, but, you know, the, the acronym for shame is should have already mastered everything. And so, you know, I, I go in life not looking at how God created me and wired me and my giftedness, but I look at, man, these, these are the places I'm lacking. So I better go spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, all the places I'm lacking. Well, when I do that, I don't give credit and give... Uh, credence to my gifts, and so I forsake the gifts God's given me because I don't want to be needy and dependent on other people. So I got to work really hard. And if you're, if anyone that knows me well, I am a terrible admin person. I am horrible at admin. But I early in my journey as a as a pastor, I spent a lot of time trying to be a better admin person, and I forsook the gifts that God had given to me. And now I'm like, oh man. I don't let me let someone else that's really good at administration do administration. Let me do what God's called me to do. And so there's just been such a freedom to to pay attention to to my shame or around where God is limited to be. Okay. That's helpful. Let's take the parsing of of healthy shame, shame and toxic shame, just so people can hear the nuance of that. I'm hearing healthy shame. Um it sounds like self awareness. Mm-hmm. Is that is that helpful? When someone hears healthy shame, they may, I've never even heard those two words put together. Um, when it's healthy, is it is it a kind of self awareness? I know where I'm good, where I'm not. Um, I just know my limits. I know my strengths. That's right. I would say so. It's like a, a true recognition of who I am, how God made me. It would be healthy shame. Um, uh, toxic shame is 
and how I don't want to be made, and I'm going to make sure uh, I'm not made that way. So that that's how I would nuance it. Not. Okay. So toxic shame is a is reactionary, or it is is it hiding? Is it uh, self hate? Like what what is what does it feel like? How will someone like in their own chest go? Okay, self awareness is one thing. Toxic shame. How will I know when I've dropped into something that's toxic? Yeah, there are two phrases that go with toxic shame, Duke. One is despising my humanness, and the other is how I label or define myself when I have feelings. <clears throat> feelings are language of vulnerability. So when I'm a vulnerable human, which means I'm in need, I label myself a certain way. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'm no good. I'm in the way. I'm a disruption. All those labeling ways, which tend to come from our stories. What were we told verbal, explicitly or implicitly, was true about me when I failed at something? So toxic shame in Todd's example, he and I share that quality around administration. Toxic shame would be, I'm no good, I'm stupid, I'm disorganized, I'm, I'm kind of an idiot because I can't keep a schedule straight. That would be the toxic form. But what Todd described was he had, um, and I will credit uh, our friend Jeff Schulte with this phraseology, he said maybe in place of the word shame will be the word unashamedness of humanness. Like mm-hmm. I'm unashamed. Jesus, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, the, the, the canonic, the passage of kenosis that we, we call it theologically, the emptying out of, of Christ. He, he says he did not consider his being God something to be grasped or exploited. And so Jesus was unashamed of his humanness. So Jesus wasn't shame-filled, like we would say, but that's a such a beautiful example. You could just unpack that passage for 100 years, uh, or all eternity, actually. But but that first phrase in there is a great description of how Jesus lived out being unashamed of being a human. He came and said, uh, yes, I'm fully God, and I'm fully human, and I carry no shame around taking on the limitations of a human being. Yeah. So when Jesus is at the well, he's sitting down because he's tired because mm-hmm. he's been out walking all day long. And he's like, "Oh yeah, when I'm tired, I can sit down. Mm-hmm. I doesn't. I I can't keep going. Uh, when the crowds are are coming and literally lining up with basically a hospital ward of he's healing every single person in the city. Just imagine the exhaustion of one after another after another. He's the ER doc with the unending waiting room, and he's like, I, "I'm going to sneak off. I'm getting out of town. I'm waking up early. I'm I can't keep." doing this. And toxic shame says, I am somehow deficient because that's true. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, I'm not deficient because that's true. And Todd's example, Todd was saying, I'm deficient. Todd just said, because really what, what humility is, this gift we're talking about with, with, with healthy shame, is I tell the truth about my giftedness. I'm really good at these things. I'm, God has made me in such a way, I'm, this is a level of competence and expertise for me. And I am terrible at these things. I'm just not good at that. So a healthy shame that stands between those two poles says, I'm made in a certain way. It doesn't give me an excuse to to settle in and go, oh, well. But what it says is I need to tell the truth about what I'm good at, how God's made me to, to flourish, and what I'm not so good at, what other people may have giftedness in. I tell the truth about both of those. And so you bring those two things together. It's an unashamedness of my limitation. Yeah. And it's not a deficiency because God knows what he's doing when he creates every human. Yeah. And uh, and Jesus, like I said earlier, Jesus was not saying, and therefore I am these terrible things. Toxic shame says I'm defined in a certain way, and I despise myself because I can't do everything. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's so helpful. Yeah, so there's the there's the self awareness of who I am, and then maybe there's some contextual awareness of, hey, it's just been a really busy season, and I'm tired, or, um, you know, I've I've got a a medical limitation that has become a part of why I can't travel as much as I used to, or, you know, a friend of mine just recently had an injury to to his leg, wasn't sleeping well, uh, had some some pain and discomfort that was a limiting. Some I guess you could be ashamed of. Like I should be able to do everything I normally do. It's like, well, right now in this particular circumstance, because of this particular injury, you can't. Um, and so some of that self awareness, healthy shame would be like, oh, at, at this time I have a limitation that is different than at other times, but is keeping me from uh, being able to do what I could do. Uh, but you see, I guess that that gives us opportunity. We could shame ourselves. Hey, I should be able to just motor through and do what I always do. Uh, as we get older, right, we're aging and our body doesn't do what it used to do. Uh, that's just a, that's a growing awareness of I'm limited mm-hmm. and I'm not 21 anymore, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, that's a helpful way of, of thinking about it. Um, let's talk about uh, what, you know, that you mentioned the impairments a little bit. We talked about toxic shame a little bit, but let's say somebody's got shame, but they won't deal honestly with it. Um, uh, what's happening? What is that toxic shame? How does it form? How does it what is it, what happens to a human being who's dealing with a ton of shame in an unhealthy way? It limits our humility, limits our humanity. I, I love what the, the guru of shame is, um, uh, Bradshaw, John Bradshaw. He wrote a, a great book back in the 80s. This is what he says about toxic shame. And when I read this, I was like, man, that is so brilliant. He says, toxic shame is the motivator behind all of our toxic behaviors, the compulsions our codependency, our addictions, and the drive to super achieve that break down, breaks down the family and de- destroys personal lives. It limits the ability of self-esteem and causes anxiety, depression, and limits our ability to connect in relationship. And so that's what toxic shame does. It, it There's just this driving force that's moving me out of relationship with myself, out of relationship with God, out of relationships with other people. And that's what then brings in the anxiety, the control, the addiction, because I, I'm not made that way. And so uh, we're made to be human. <laughs> and well, yet our, you know, our toxic shame is I don't want to be human. I want to be something other than I am. And so when I become something other than I am, then I, then I can't actually do relationships with myself, God, or other people. Yeah, as you're saying that, Todd, I'm almost imagining shame is like some filth that I'm trying to rub off. Mm-hmm. There's something on me that's wrong with me, but if I'll achieve, if I'll, I could prove that wrong. I can almost overcome that thing. And, and maybe see families that are characterized by shame. And if we could, if we could have um, an accomplished child who went out and did something great in the world, and if we could accomplish some things in life, maybe we could get the shame off of our family and that feeling of like inadequacy or like we're not enough or we're not as good as some other families down the street. And so there's just this, this I'm hearing, as you're saying, like this current that's pushing against us, but we've got to fight against it mm-hmm. uh, to, to overcome. Um, let's talk about uh, the way that shame is experienced, maybe even in our families as we grew up. You know, Kurt Thompson, in his book, uh, The Soul of Shame, talks about how, um, you know, shamed people shame people. Uh, and that 80% of shame is caught non-verbally. So it, we've, we've probably all been shamed where someone literally says, you disgust me or are you just a pitiful excuse for a fill-in-the-blank baseball player or son or, or whatever that would be. So there's verbal shaming, but then there's just the – you drop the fly, fly ball in the outfield, you look up in the stands and your dad's shaking his head, and it's just visibly obvious that he's ashamed that you didn't make the play, right? 
how, how what's happening in families around shame? How are we how are we learning to inhabit how we should hate our humanity, despise our humanity, mm-hmm. if, to use your language? Uh, w- w- what's happening in that formation uh, along the way? Yeah, that uh, y- limitation is scary. My son's limitations are scary to me as a dad because what I want for him is to be great at everything where he will never have to struggle. (laughs) Impossible. And so if if parents, as parents and in families, if parents aren't paying attention to how scary it is for my child, my daughter, my son to have limitation, which means they're going to struggle, which means they're going to fail, which means they're going to do things that, that highlight their humanness, if a parent can can tell the truth about both ends of that, like my parents, I, I never had any uh, aspirations of being a mathematician. If I had, I'd have parents that go, hey, man, I love you like crazy. Mathematics might not be where you're strongest. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for parents to be able to tell the truth to their children, speaking the truth in love literally to say, let me tell you how I experience you, how God has made you, where you're gifted and where you aren't. And I love you, and I'm in your corner. And, man, if you want to tackle mathematics, how can I help you do it? I just want you to know that you're made in a certain way. And my experience with you is that this is not something you're really good at, but I want you to be really good at being how God made you. And so if we parents, if parents and families could camp out on just telling the truth around how that child is made and when the child ultimately fails whether it's something they're good at or not good at necessarily when the message is you still have great value to me and great value to god and there's some mechanics around how it can help you improve something you may have messed up but ultimately the foundation underneath that is i love you and i love how you're made i I love that you are and i love how you are Let's put all those things together as you continue developing through your life. And if families did that, I think there would be a lot less territory around the toxicity of that. A very very short example of that, um, I, the very beginning of my church staff uh, life, I was in charge of pastoral care right, oh, just across the way in Fort Worth. And <clears throat> I made a visit to a man who oversaw a huge ministry, a counseling support group ministry in a church. In another state, and I went and spent a day. He was very gracious to host me for a day. This is way back early '90s, and I asked him. He said they had at the time they had thirty-six thousand contacts <clears throat> per year, and like that just means groups and individual sessions and support groups and all that. Um, that they had a, a, about three thousand a month at this huge church, and I asked him. I said, "What would you say <clears throat> is the most common presentation of people walking through the door needing help?" I thought he might say trauma anxiety, depression, he, without hesitation, he said, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's people attempting to do something in service that's outside their area of giftedness. And they try and try and try, and it runs them into the ground because they cannot admit, do their own story or whatever it might be, they cannot admit limitation. Mm, They're trying to be good at something that they're not gifted to do for whatever reason. They've decided I should already be, should have already mastered this. I haven't, but I'm not going to give up on it. I'm going to keep pounding against the wall yes. to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, it's sad. I mean, as you talk about a good parent, and I was getting the feeling as you were talking about a safe family to say, hey, we're going to help you discover your gifts. We're going to celebrate you. Um, we're going to love you whether you do or you don't. We're going to love you whether you're a mathematician or a counselor. 
uh, we're just going to walk with you to discover your limits and your gifts, and we're going to fan those into flame. I just said, man, that growing up in the family you were describing, it's like I would have a lot of courage to even go and try things because it's like I don't have to be perfect the first time, and I don't have to be good at everything. And so it's almost a process of elimination, a process of discovery. It's okay if I discover something that I'm not good at, that doesn't come to define me, and I don't have to then camp out on that and work on it to make sure it becomes a competency. I can, the pressure is off a little bit, and I can settle in and let somebody else be good at that. And that's what you mentioned, Duke, about like I got something on me I can't get off. The, the failure of that type thing happening is how that gets on the child who grows up to be a grown man or grown woman. And go like, oh, this is stuck to me, and I can't get it off. And it's the the lack of that territory of truth telling, redemptive truth telling, that causes that stuff to stick to the skin. Yeah, that's so good. Let's talk about the healthy. Uh, what do I need if I'm processing health, uh, shame in a healthy way? Uh, what what's the need that I have? What's the gift that I receive if I'll deal honestly? Yeah, I think the the need is for someone to be able to see me and then are attuned to me and then call out what they see in me. I, that's one of the greatest gifts. You know, I joke with Phil all the time. I, I'm his age when I first met him. So I'm like, man, if I can become like Phil, like you know, that old commercial, be like Mike, it's like, man, my, my motto is be like Phil. <laughs> oh, I want to be like Phil. I wish I had a Gatorade for Phil. I wish he had I, a I, shoe, though. Yeah, exactly. be cool. What would be the logo on the I don't Phil know, shoe? But I, those glasses. Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the glasses. glasses. I'd buy those shoes. I'm a shoe guy. So oh, if they man. came out with a pair of Air Fills, I'd, I'd buy them tomorrow for sure. Oh, um, that is literally a first. Air Fill. I got a big old vertical, man. You do. You got hops. Oh. Uh, but that's the part for me. I, you know, when I met Phil, I, I was covered with toxic shame. I, I couldn't even look him in the eyeballs. Literally could not look him in the face. And uh, he saw me and, and seeing me, attuned to me, and then began to draw out those places of giftedness that, uh, you know, I just did not see in myself. And you know, I wouldn't be at this table on this podcast without Phil uh, calling me out um, and seeing things in me I did not, could not see in myself. Um, and um, because I was just driven by that toxic shame, like, uh, I, I, you know, not, not that I didn't want to be a counselor or uh, you know, a shepherd, uh, like all that was in me. But it was like, man, when I looked at my peers around me, and I think this is what Paul is saying in uh, Galatians 5. He's like, I-, I live with a lot of conceit and envy of other people without the- being able to delight in what God had called me to do. And uh, because of that, he started attending to me and tuning into me and seeing me and calling me out. And so we've got to surround ourselves with men that will see us and then call that that God has put in us, out of us. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I went back to grad school because of Phil Herndon okay. and, and Jenny, my, my wife, for yeah. sure. So. As you're describing that, I'm almost, and we talk about Eden as the relational habitat we were designed for and the features of Eden, but it's almost like Phil, for you, allowed you to be naked and unashamed. Oh, 100%. You know what I mean? Like, come, let's come back into Eden. I'll see you exactly as you are, but you shouldn't be ashamed of who you are. Like, in light of the work of Christ, because you're deeply loved, because he's atoned for every way in which you've sinned, and because you've been reconciled to him, and you're a child, you have his spirit, and you matter, and your life is going to matter, you're going to live with him for eternity, you're a part of our community. It's like, oh, you can be totally seen in whatever you were going through, your addiction, all the stuff that was true, uh, and be unashamed. Like, I love you, I see you, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to leave. You know, which is really uh, coming back to... Uh, back to Eden, back to this place that we were designed for, to not be 
ashamed of our humanness, not to be ashamed of, of where we're at. And so, man, what a gift uh, that he gave you and that you're now giving to others as you're able to see them as they are. Let them tell the truth about the stuff, uh, whatever it is, without being rejected. Uh, and so I heard it said that shame dies in the light. It's so true. And so you see people who are ashamed. They, oh, I could never tell anybody the thing, the thing that I'm so deeply ashamed of. And, and the enemy's like, oh, that's cool. Keep it that way. And let's, let's continue that's to right. keep you in, enslaved to it so in, in the dark. And, uh, and so counterintuitive to be like, why would you ever tell someone the thing that you're most ashamed of? <laughs> that seems like the opposite of what you should do. I'm ashamed. <laughs> uh, and it's like, well, that's exactly what you should do if you find the fill. You find that safe person who is able to hold that, has a gospel fluency, understands the nature of humanity, the nature of the sufficiency of Christ, mm-hmm. and is able to go, oh, no, no, that's there's right. totally a way out. That's right. uh, there's totally a way to be healed and, and to be saved. It goes back to what we talked about in an earlier podcast with the five A's, that place of admission and uh, attunement and attachment, like, oh, man. And again, I, I think this is the other part of healthy shame is, you know, there's been multiple times um, that I'll— he, there's got to be correction in my life, and so my trust in Phil, he's he is bringing those other things that and and, and correction. You know, even earlier this morning, I'm talking about about my shame and him confronting me, like, man, that is not what is true about you. This is what's true about you. Uh, you know, just full confession. I was telling him just a few moments. I'm like, I'm terrible at these podcasts, man. I do not need to even be here. And he's like, that is not true. That is not true. And so. Uh, but but that's where Satan will start planting that seed, and then I'll go inward, and then that seed will grow and grow and grow, and then it will rob rob me, and then it will rob other people of oh, just the gift. blessing of sitting at a table with yeah. with you men. So, yeah. and again, I could sit here uh, in bodily form, but my heart would be yeah. it wouldn't even be uh, in Nashville; it'd be it'd be somewhere off the ocean of uh, Florida, somewhere just yeah. sitting in a in an island by myself, like man. I don't deserve to be around people. I don't even deserve this spot. It's like, okay. Like, yeah. So. That's what shame feels like, right? It's like the hunchback of Notre Dame. I need to go hide in the bell tower. I'm grotesque. I'm not worthy of public viewing. Like, I shouldn't be anywhere. Who would want to see me? Uh, but but also, there's a phrase that you guys have used that's really helpful with shame uh, called right-sized, um, right? And that's the self-awareness, it's humility. Uh, but in some cases, you're describing somebody who's becoming a mouse in the corner, who shouldn't be a mouse? You're a man, not a mouse. Why are, why are you becoming a mouse in the corner? Other people are a little too big, right? They're little, there's arrogance issues. There's a sense of I'm, I'm, a, I'm a godlike figure. I'm Iron Man or whatever. I'm, I'm enhanced humanity. Uh, that might require some correction the other way. Uh, but just that living in community and having somebody who loves you enough to say, hey, let's be right-sized in the situation. If you're a mouse in the corner, you're actually not who you are, Todd. You actually had a ton of value these podcasts, we're going to call you into to that because I think the enemy's telling you a shame story or your own story has formed you in a way that you just see yourself and are, are ashamed at times uh, of, of who you are, comparison, or whatever's happening. So, uh, yeah, that's really, really helpful. Uh, what is the gift? If, if I'll just walk all the way into my shame, uh, what's going to happen to me long term in terms of the gift? Well, <clears throat> continue the story. I'll, I'll kind of turn the tables on, on Todd. So part of that story is he went back home after treatment, he and I stayed in lots and lots of contact with each other. And he he had been super successful in ministry. The, the guy just can, can grow a group, this daunting teaching gift and shepherding gift with people, especially the college-age kids. They're, the church he was at literally shares a border with 
uh, a big college down, big university. And he went back and he cut grass, <laughs> lost his lofty position. He cut grass in South Florida heat. Um, and we've talked on the phone. There have been days, but, and I say this not to talk about a character defect, but, but the gift called humility. He would call from a, some air-conditioned place, and he would just be, I'm tired of this. What is going on here? He was lamenting, as we've talked about earlier. But he was lamenting someone he knew that, that cared about him, that was another flawed human being. And so the humility, not just to cut grass, but the way he went back and cut grass. He didn't go and talk to shame and go, well, I'm just no good. I'm just going to be a, I'm just going to man a weed eater for the rest of my life. But nor did he be like, hey, I'm, I'm Todd Wormers. I'm too good to cut grass. Wait a minute. I grew this incredible giant ministry. He was right in between right-sized to say, I'm not paying a penance, and I'm not in prison, and I'm not a worm, and I'm not a god. I'm a guy who is cutting grass on the business end of a weed eater, and sometimes I call my good friend, and we talk about things, and sometimes I'm lamenting, sometimes we're laughing, sometimes mm. we're, you know, we're. I'm, I'm just enamored with how close to alligators he was, and we were in <laughs> Fort Myers recently, fairly recently, and he promised to show me one, didn't happen. And didn't get to see one, but we'd laugh about alligators sometimes. Like, well, man, you're calling. I guess you didn't get to eat up today. And but that he, he how he lived out what we would call his recovery, but his relationship with the Lord and in his recovery with Jenny, with other people down there that he loved that loved him mm-hmm. that do still love him. Uh, he was cutting that grass right in between. I'm no good. I'm just cutting grass now. Or, hey, man, I'm Todd. Look at what all I built. He was right in between saying, I'm going to do this today, and I'm going to continue waiting to see what God has for him tomorrow. And here he sits uh, with humility and wisdom and competence and ability and those kinds of things. And so his story that he told part of, his story, though, it really is a picture. And we, it's okay to segue over this. This man was living in utter isolation. Mm. ton about his story like for all humans or couldn't you could not get to Todd Todd was performing and building and teaching and leading like crazy but lived in utter isolation and then he came and he tells the story earlier about when he and I met in treatment and his toxic shame he didn't couldn't look me in the eye those kinds of things couldn't look anybody in the eye <laughs> I wasn't the only one he wasn't looking at yep. just toxic shame just you know as we say in in Mississippi and Georgia, eat up, eat up with. He was eat up with it, you know, and and then but moving into that territory of healthy, what we would call healthy shame, yeah. and then moving in this very humble place to say, I'm good at this thing, I'm not so good at that, I'm not serving a penance, and I'm not too good for it. Yeah. I'm right sized. That's so good, and that's really what I hope for the audience that people over a journey of dealing honestly with their shame, you you would be able to come into a place where you could say. Like John the Baptist, hey, I'm not the Christ, uh, but I am the forerunner to the Christ. And that's kind of a big deal. There's some things that I'm called to do in the world that really matter. I know I'm not a god, I'm, and I'm also not a worm. And I can I can live into my design and not be falsely humble or arrogant, uh, but live right-sized lives uh, in, in relationship, totally aware of my need for God, totally aware of my need for the admin or the other people with their gifts, <laughs> yeah. uh, but also really confident to say, hey, I do have the Midas touch in this one area. Like, well, I don't know why God made me fast, but he made me fast. I can run fast. I, I can speak well. I can counsel well. I'm a mathematician, whatever it is. And and when the body of Christ all has that awareness and they're properly fitted together, the church is just a beautiful, diverse place of humility and celebration of like, man, I'm so glad we're on a team together because you compliment me so well. 
I'm so glad that my wife is so good at things I'm not good at, and we get to just celebrate the diversity gifts of what the Spirit has given the church, and and we reflect the fullness of Christ. But not any one person has all of it, uh, and not and not anybody is thrown away and, and useless. Uh, there's, there's just a, a beautiful design. So uh, that's what we, we get when we have shame. And so while, while it sounds like bad news to even talk about shame, uh, hopefully as you've listened to this episode, you go, no, actually, if I'll walk into that, uh, there is a self-awareness and a, a humility and a, and, a, and a unity in the community that can be experienced that is actually you know essential and beautiful. So yeah, thank you guys uh, for this. This has been really helpful. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening to the Ever Present Podcast. If this resource has been helpful to you, we would ask that you share it with your friends. Leave a comment on the podcast platform and help get this resource into the hands of other people. If you want to reach out to us, you can always email us at podcast at edenteam.org. And now as you go throughout the rest of your day, just remember that God's posture toward you is strong, persistent, and positive. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.